Amen. Well, it's, uh, if you will, um, turn in your Bibles with me to Titus 2, 11 through 15. That's where we'll be reading from in God's Word this morning. Titus 2, 11 through 15. Um, and uh, today, uh, if you're new with us or, or whatever, today's a bit of a different day because this is my last day um, with you, um, which comes with a great deal of sadness um, and uh, and also excitement into a new calling that God has on my wife and I and our family's life. And so if you're unaware, so uh, over the last few months we have been, uh, we began to pray about this new opportunity that came before us to become a church planning catalyst for the SIN network of the North American Missions Board in eastern Nebraska. Some of you may be thinking, why in the world would you ever move to Nebraska? I thought the same thing. I'm from Iowa. And so... uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's really where everything started for my wife and I. We both graduated from a, a state college in uh, northern Nebraska at Wayne State College. And um, church planning, if you've been around here for a while, is a huge, huge piece of my heart and passion. And pastors and development of them is also, and this is an opportunity to step into that role. Um, but with that comes a great deal of sadness because I, I was just standing in the back of the room as uh, we were singing and um, Brandon was leading you through communion, and uh, I couldn't help but just kind of like, even now, like look across the room, and so many of you have allowed me into pieces and parts of your life that is very, is very special, and uh, I'm very vulnerable, and uh, you've allowed me to be your pastor, and for that I'm really grateful. I was reminded this week on, um, Marie, you didn't know I was going to say this, so, um, so this week, um, <clears throat> A guy called me on Friday afternoon. His name's Larry Stratton. He's a pastor in the Chicagoland area. And um, he called me and he said, hey, I just wanted to thank you for being my mom and dad's pastor. Bob and Marie Stratton go here. Bob has um, went into an assisted living center this year and Marie and him go visit. And one of the things that he said and shared with me is that my mom and dad pray for you every day. And uh, they sit at 11 o'clock before they have lunch and they pray. And... Um, you know, oftentimes you think about how a pastor blesses a congregation. Um, but even in that, Marie, I'm so grateful for your prayers. I believe God moves and changes things through prayer, and I believe your prayers have had a great effect on our life. And so um, it's a privilege to be a pastor in so many ways. Um, and so thank you, North Canton Chapel family, from my family to you. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for coming alongside of us. Thank you for praying for us. And thank you for allowing us into your lives. Um, I hope that I have done more good than bad in your life. And so that's a joke. Thank you. So to that end, uh, instead of crying the entire time I'm up here, let's get into God's word and let this preacher preach. Titus 2, 11 through 15. If you will, this morning, stand with me in reverence and honor to the reading of God's word. Titus 2, 11 through 15 reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, 
who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Father, we pray that this morning that you would teach us from your word, Jesus, that you would shape us and form us into your very own image and that you would use, Lord, this very word from you to do that in our hearts and our lives today. So Jesus, I surrender myself to you today. Use me as you see fit. Say, ask in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this passage together, just um, so you know, this is, this is one of my favorite like, sections of Scripture in all the Bible. One, um, typically something's your favorite um, because it has done something deep in you. And so this is a passage of Scripture that I believe God has used to do a very deep work in my own heart and my own life. And so I'm going to share it with you kind of in, from that effect of what God has done in my life through this. I hope it does. Same in yours. Um, also, as we, as we look at this text t- together, this is a passage of Scripture. Um, you know, when people say, this is my favorite Bible verse, or like, this is my favorite Bible verse, the, the issue with that is it sounds like other Bible verses aren't your favorite, right? So that's like a tension. Like, I like this part of the Bible. I don't like this part of the Bible. So that's not what we're saying here. But there are, there, there are portions of Scripture, like Galatians 2.20. It's very concise, it helps us say things in a way that we just maybe have never had the words to say it. Like, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I live in the flesh, I'll live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? These concise verses. And I, I believe that if you wanted to kind of bank all of your practice of Christian life on these verses, you could. I think it is so concise about Christian life. So what was happening as Paul wrote this book to Titus. Titus was going to the island of Crete. Um, Crete was uh, kind of this, this place where all kinds of things were being mingled together. We don't have any issues of that in our society. There, there was like Christianity, and then you just kind of add on to it. And so they were adding on to it Jewish practice. They were adding on to it um, the worship of Zeus. They thought Zeus was from their island, and so they were very proud of this. And so they kind of were, were meshing all these things together. And so what Paul is going to do to say to Titus is, hey, Titus, like, don't neglect like going after this 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 this, the, the main principle of the Christian faith, and that is Jesus is everything. Jesus plus nothing else. This is simply and only about Jesus. And so, kind of in light of that, let's look at the text together. And the first thing that we see is Paul is going to implore them to embrace their rescue. So it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, as we look at that, I mean, it's, it's a fairly straightforward text. It doesn't seem like anything very profound, but let's kind of pick it up, pick it apart here for a second. It says, for the grace of God, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, the love of God in Jesus Christ, for the grace of God, the unmerited, the unmerited favor of God. So in this, there is this declaration already at the beginning of this text saying that we need something. We need grace. We need unmerited favor from God, meaning that there is something that we cannot get or obtain on our own, and that is the love of God. For the grace of God, what? Has appeared, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus showed up, that the one promised right after, in Galatians 3, the one promised who would come and take away the sins of the world, he came. 
So the grace of God has appeared, which again shows our inability, that we cannot attain grace and favor with God by our works, by our efforts, by ourselves. But the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. This is a big word, right? Bringing salvation, meaning that I need saved from something. Church, do you believe today that you need saved from something? See, this is one of the most critical aspects of our faith is a continued belief that I don't possess the ability to reach God on my own. That there is a gap, there is a chasm between me and him, a sin, my sin separates me from God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. See, this is, again, a recognition of my inability. Bringing salvation for who? For all people. Again, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, meaning all people, all tribes, all tongues, all ethnicities, all people, all generations, all time in history, that the grace of God is available for all. So in this, this embrace your rescue. This is the the good news of the gospel, that, that God has come, that he has the power, the remedy for our sin in life. Have you ever heard this message before, anybody? And this is the most basic message of any gospel-believing church that you'll ever go to or you'll ever hear. And we, some of you, anybody been around the church a long time? Just raise your hand if you've been around the church a long time, right? I know some of y'all didn't raise your hand. I know you have, right? Been around the church a long time. And the issue with being around the church for a long time is the old news, the good, the, the good news becomes old news. And the old news we tend to become indifferent to. We forget that we were on our way to death, hell, judgment, and we were rescued by a God who saved you. I'll tell you this for me. For me personally, I remember the day that I turned in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. I I remember asking God to forgive me of my sin because I knew that my sin condemned me. I knew that I deserved judgment from God for my sin. And when I turned in repentance and I turned to faith, God reached down and he pulled me up and he put my feet upon a rock that I could not put my feet on myself. And I had a peace and a joy in my heart that I'd never had ever before in my life. God had to reach down and pull me up so hard he pulled all my hair out, right? Like it was like, (laughs) that's how bad I was in sin. But that isn't unique to Ryan Johnston. That is unique to every person that lives on, in this world. There is a mire that our feet are stuck in that we cannot get out of ourselves, and we need a rescue. We need a rescue, and our rescuer came. And the event of all events happened to rescue us. Jesus Christ really came. He really walked on this earth. He really was arrested in the garden. He was really beaten and bruised. For your sin and my sin. He really hung on that cross and he really bled and died and the earth really shook and the veil really was torn from top to bottom and he really died the death of all deaths to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus really didn't stay dead. He really got up and he walked and he really taught for 40 days and he really ascended to on high and he really has provided the way for us to be saved. There's nothing more significant in all of life 
And this great God of ours loving us so much that he would send his only son to die for us on the cross. I hope that message never ceases to be profound to you. And I hope the old news is always good news. And I hope the person in this room that is hearing this for the first time today, that you're hearing the greatest news you've ever heard, that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And if you will place your faith and your trust in him today, you can be saved. Paul is urging Titus to embrace his rescue and to encourage those in the faith to embrace their rescue, to never forget what God has done. The second thing is then he says, live in freedom. Live in freedom. The text continues in verse 13. It says, uh, or verse 12. Text continues and it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So now this is a weird word to kind of put in with gospel. So another way to say this, like point one could be the gospel saves us. And then the second would be the gospel trains us. Now this isn't language we typically use, but it's so important. And this text is so important that even when you go down to the last verse, verse 15, he says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. What he's saying is he's like clapping his hands. He's saying, this is super important. Don't forget this message. Because if you forget this, you forget everything. It's that thing like, hey, just like let your mind get wrapped around this. That's what Paul is saying in this text, what God is saying to us in this text. And saying the gospel trains us, it teaches us, it instructs us. So the question is, how does this ancient event train me today? How how does this ancient thing, this, this long time ago, death, burial, resurrection, like how does it train me in the day to day of my life? When I wake up tomorrow, when I go to work, when I go about life, what does it do? Well, the gospel, it it trains us. Let me explain this. You may have heard me tell this before, but it was really a profound moment in my life that helped teach me this truth. So years ago, Deb and I, we had um, four babies in our house, um, two foster children, two of our own children. We had a baby in our closet, a baby in our bedroom, baby in, like the babies were everywhere. And, uh, and one night um, in the middle, we did this kind of back and forth, like you feed a bottle this night, I'll feed a bottle next night. So sometimes we were so tired that our wires got crossed a little bit on whose night it was. And so my wife, um, she, we woke up and we began this uh, dispute over whose night it was to get up. And in this dispute, um, she, she won in a leg wrestling contest, um, and it ended with me getting pushed off the bed. Um, she's very, she's little, her legs are very strong, and so, um, deceptively, and so um, she pushes me out of the bed, and I'm kind of like, literally like, kneeled over, and so mad. I don't know if you've ever been mad at your spouse, um, Probably not. I, I was in this moment. I was sinning. And, and legitimately, anger is sin. And I was, I was really, really mad. Like, I was doing this whole, like, let me tell you the 400 ways why I have observed you from the first day I've met you till today that you are a terrible person. I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> like, that's what was happening in my mind. Obviously, you've done this. And so, uh, and so I'm mad. And 
I was getting ready to preach a sermon, so it was a Tuesday night or Wednesday early morning, and I was going to preach a sermon Wednesday night called Preach the Gospel to Yourself. And, uh, and so I was walking through the doorframe into our kitchen, um, not knowing where I was going past that, and I was walking through, and it just like these words, I believe it was the Holy Spirit of God did this. I began to preach the gospel to my heart. And I said, Jesus, you served me at such great length that you would bleed and die on the cross for my sins. And then just like out of my mouth, out of my, I just said, Jesus, if you've served me to that length, I can serve Debbie tonight. Now, what was profound about it for me is I didn't love Debbie that night because it was like my duty as a husband is to love Debbie and feed bottles. And so I will dutifully do this tonight. You know, I mean, imagine how that goes down. So I feed the baby and I go back to bed and she wakes up. And I say, I did my duty to feed the, bi- to feed the baby tonight, right? And she would say, oh, thank you so much for being dutiful. I love you, right? That's not how that, that's not how that works. <clears throat> but what I did that night, and maybe, maybe for the first time in my life, it was the first pure motive I'd ever had. It wasn't about a checklist. It wasn't about anything. It was, I loved I love my Savior, and I'm grateful for what he did. And I understood in that moment the length he went to on the cross for me. And I just simply said, I want to drink from your well of love and kindness and compassion, not my own well. I don't know if you know this, but your well of compassion and kindness and love, it's fairly shallow. Even some of you who think it's rather deep, it's not. But the love and compassion and kindness, when you drink from that well of Jesus... It's infinite. His love and his care and his patience and his kindness and the way in which he served us is endless. And so when this text says training us to renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions, to live self-controlled, live upright, live godly, what, what it's saying is we have an issue of affection We have an issue of the wells in which we pull from to do things in life. And what he's saying is, right, these are tied together. This gospel message, this grace of God that we have received now motivates us to no longer desire to live in disobedience and ungodliness and our worldly passions and our pride and our lust and our anger and all of the, I don't don't want to dishonor you, God, anymore with my life, but I want to honor you. And so what happens is we allow the gospel then to train us in righteous living. Lord, I desire because of what you've done to live self-controlled. I desire because of what you've done to live upright. I desire because of what you've done to live a godly life. When? In this present age, right now, today, and every day of my life. See, I I believe this is really important because I I believe motive matters more than anything. I believe we can do a lot of very, very good things with very impure motives. I remember the first time I was teaching on the subject with a group of guys I was discipling, and one of the guys had just donated his kidney um, to to his cousin. And I said, you know, like, example, this guy's name. I said, you know, I mean, he could have given his kidney to his cousin, but if it was so everyone would applaud him, it doesn't even matter to God. And I looked at him, and the look on his face was like, crap. (laughs) I think I wanted that a little bit. Like, that would kind of stink to give a kidney away, and like, it'd be all about you, right? 
but we do this all the time, don't we? Like if you want applause from others, that's where your glory is. But when we're seeking applause from God, when we're serving God, motive matters to God. And God knows. God knows not just what you do. He knows why you do it. And this is the core, I believe, what Paul is getting at. Embrace your rescue. And when you embrace your rescue, you can live in freedom because you're living out of pure motives that I love my God. See, one of the things that God kind of freed me out of is I'd moved into a place where I was partying and living for all the wrong things when I was in college. And some people would say, oh, that's just what people do in college. Well, maybe, but for me, I was sinning against God and I wasn't honoring him. And one of the big changes that happened in my life and still is today, is see, I, I dishonor God with drink greatly. And the thought of dishonoring him in that way with drink again truly grieves my heart. Yet again, a testimony to who God is and what he does. You see, he just doesn't want to change our behavior. He wants to change our very affections. He wants to change our why. Why? Why not overly indulge? Because I love my God and I don't want to dishonor him with drink. Live in freedom. And you say, and now what I would say is too, one, this kind of teaching, it doesn't bind you, it frees you. It frees you to live for his glory and his honor. So what do we do? We preach the gospel to ourselves. Life is full of opportunity to be motivated by Jesus when we, where we live, where we play, where we work, in all spaces, and God is calling us to this. So in these first two verses, what we see is the power and the purpose of the gospel. The power of the gospel is the power can save us. The purpose of the gospel is to change our heart and our motives that we might kill sin and live righteous and holy lives for him. And by the way, the effect of that is we do many, many great things for him, which leads into this last section of the text, the call to live in hopefulness. It says, waiting for our blessed hope, right? Knowing so that the gospel has saved me, the gospel is training me to live righteous and holy life right now until I see Jesus face to face. And as I'm doing that, I'm waiting for my blessed hope, meaning that I can be hopeful in the day when I see Jesus face to face. I can be hopeful in the day where everything is set right, right? The waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for the appearing of our great God, Appearing, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the, the question I think we have to ask ourselves is, are, one, are you waiting for your blessed hope? And see, many in this room, I believe, are. You're, you're waiting for that day where you can see your Savior face to face. But on the same breath, there's many maybe in this room that if you're really honest with yourself, waiting for your blessed hope isn't a reality because you're sort of, a, you're sort of afraid of that day when you see him face to face. In honesty. Because you know that you aren't living with the mantra that we were called to in Scripture that Jesus is Lord, that He is King. Maybe you've trusted in a Savior, but you've not trusted in the Lord. And that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess, it sort of intimidates you because you're asking the question Have I done enough? Well, by the way, that's the wrong question because the question is never Have I done enough? The question is, have I entrusted my life to Jesus? And have I surrendered my life, my will, my purposes, my future over to him? And am I living my life now motivated by the one who loved me so much that he gave himself for me? 
So it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so who is this Jesus? Paul's going to explain it again. So here God goes. He gave himself for us, this willful act to redeem us, right? to give his life as a ransom for many from all lawlessness, the, the breaking and the disregard of God's law and his ways, that he is saving us from the power and the penalty of sin to purify for himself a people, a people of pure heart and pure motive who are what? Zealous for good works. Who because of what Jesus has done, because of the transformation that has happened in their life, I want to serve him. I'm eager and I'm committed to live my life for his fame and his glory and his renown. You know, what this text does is it kind of gives us these two great lenses that we can see the gospel through. One, the power of the gospel that God, right, loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. So God knew our sin problem, sent his son Jesus to remedy that problem, and through placing our faith in him, we can be saved. But the other lens of the gospel that we see in this text is that, that one, that we were created by God and for God, that we rebelled against God, and because of that rebellion, we deserve death, judgment, and hell. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to redeem us from our sins and to lead us into a path of living out his intended ways in this world once again. See, in God's created order, he made us for his goodwill and his purposes, and we rebelled against that. Through Jesus, we are set right, and we can begin to live in those intended ways. I believe more than anything What we need to hear, what I need to hear, what the church in North America needs to hear, what we need to hear in North Canton Chapel is that we have this this gap in how we think about God. And this gap in how we think about God is simply this, that we're, we're all aiming at this target of getting saved, right? This point in time where I give my life to Jesus. And then there's this other point in time where I'm going to die and see him face to face. And so much of Christianity has been kind of espoused as you need to get saved and get happy about heaven. And there's this huge gap in between. What about this? What about today? What about today and how I live for him and how I honor him? What this text is telling us is that in the day-to-day, how do you live for him? How do you love him? Well, you live in freedom, never forgetting this great love that Jesus has shown you. You live in freedom knowing that you will see him one day face to face. And so you have see him face to face and he will welcome you in and you have nothing to fear in this world. So simply to say this as my kind of parting words with you in this way, I hope maybe someday I could come back and be a guest preacher. But uh, until then, I would simply say this. Never forget that the gospel saves Never trust in any other work but the, the work of Jesus. And you may say, Ryan, that's, that's simple. I believe the most simple things are the most profound. Never forget the gospel saves. Second thing I would say is never forget the gospel trains. Might this church always be a church where your affections for Jesus are increasingly growing and that you always get your motive right because motive matters more than anything else. And never stop being hopeful of the future. Because I believe that it's fun to look in the rearview mirror, and we sure could today. 
I believe over the last seven years, God has done some incredible things in the lives of many of you. I know he has in mine. I know that we've done a lot of really amazing work together, sending missionaries all over the world. We've done some amazing work of doing some church planning. We've done some amazing work in discipling and training and equipping. Um, It's been an amazing journey to be on and not always super easy. That can be a laugh if you want to. Um, But it's been an amazing journey. And I hope that the North Canton Chapel, I hope this for you, I hope it for me, I hope that Jesus truly is everything. You see, I'm convinced that churches need less fancy visions, mission state, all all these things we do. We, We kind of... Churches all over, we, 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 we try to be catchy and relevant and all these things. But if you think I've been holding my cards on this, I just want to be clear. I, I believe that the Bible is true. And I believe that the model of the church that we ought to be is defined for us in the book of Acts. I believe Acts 2, 42 through 47 is the defining marker of the kind of Christian God wants to make everyone people who are devoted to the word and to prayer and to the breaking of bread and the gathering together and that they give to one another as each has need and we are generous in every way and as we do that the Lord adds to our number daily those who are being saved. I believe these are the kind of churches God wants to form and make and I believe that the North Canton Chapel is that kind of church. I believe that many of you are committed to these things that the Bible speaks of and see I believe what Jesus did is I believe he commissioned the church I believe they went in the upper room and they prayed and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went out and they did this work. And I believe that through the disciple-making work that many churches were planted and started. And I believe this church was planted one day and started and this church needs to continue to plant churches and started. If I didn't believe that, I should not be doing what I'm doing next. Right? Like all of these things, like, I believe God is doing this work and I believe he desires to continue to do that work here. And I, I want to tell you that I believe, I believe that the elders and the pastors here are some of the most incredible men that I've had the privilege to serve with in my life. And I, am, I would not leave here if I was not confident of their ability to lead this church into the future. I've said this many times, and I believe it's true. I believe that there's no head pastor to this church. I believe Jesus is the head pastor of this church. And over the years, some people have had problems with Jesus' leadership. And I hope you don't in the days to come. And I believe in order for Jesus to be the head of the church, it takes a great deal of faith to believe that he is doing something sometimes that we don't quite understand. But I do believe that Jesus is the head of this church, and I would implore you to continue to see Jesus as the head of this church, to pray, to fast, and seek him. And I believe that this church has the best days ahead of it. And I believe that this church is in God's hands. So I would say to you, kind of as my parting words today. One, live with Jesus as your head in your life personally and corporately as a church. Jesus as Lord is not just an ancient statement. It is as relevant today as it has ever been. Let him be Lord of your life. Second, might your, Lord, might your lives continue to be formed with a greater affection for Jesus and might you see markers of that year to year and month to month of your life that your affections for Jesus are not waning, but they are growing. And might we, might you, might we all be faithful 
to this great task that he has called us to. See, I believe one day, probably within the next 50 years, I will see Jesus face to face. And I believe that I will see many of you in heaven with me and we will stand before a great throne and we will lay our crowns at his feet for what we have done for him because anything good we have done, it's his doing. And I long and I look for that day. Some of you I may never see face to face again unless Brandon asked me to come back. And when we do, we will rejoice for all time and eternity. And the only thing we'll regret is not giving and doing more for him when we had time. And might we find ourselves busy for his kingdom and his work. And so by that, I love you. And it truly has been my privilege to be your pastor. Let's pray. Thank you. Let's, let's pray together, and uh, might we not move too fast. Let's respond to God's word. Father, it is truly a gift to be your children. And it is a gift that you speak to us, and you call us, and you don't leave us alone, or that you call us out of our sin, that you call us into to personal and specific callings that you have on our lives. God, you are remarkable. Lord, simply, if you, if, you, if you would have saved us alone, that would have been enough. But Lord, you've, you've done so much more. And for that, we are, we are so grateful. So Lord, would you, would you help us as we respond to this text today? Jesus, we believe that you exclusively save. If there's a man, woman, or child in this room who have never confessed you as Lord, who've never repented and turned in faith, I pray you'd give them the strength to do that today. Lord, I pray you'd pick them up and you'd set their feet upon a rock. Lord, I pray that this good news, Lord, would continue to train us and shape us effectually, that what we do we would do it because we love you. And Lord, that whatever we need to do to respond, even to confess you as Lord today and recenter our lives, help us to do that. And Lord, help us to be hopeful. Jesus, you will return and you will set all things right. But while we wait for our blessed hope, help us to be zealous for your good works for your kingdom to increasingly come on earth. Help us respond, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.